Public Road. O highway I travel, do you say to me, do not leave me? Do you say, venture not, if you leave me, you are lost? Do you say, I am already prepared, I am well beaten and undenied, adhere to me? O public road, I say back, I am not afraid to leave you. In the beginning of August, I was staying at the home of my fiancé's sister at East 41st Street and Chicago Ave in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Three blocks away, the George Floyd Memorial had been constructed and the streets barricaded around the site where Mr. Floyd was killed. I'd come to town to speak with a Minnesotan I've long admired, celebrated photographer Wing Young Huey, who has documented this neighborhood, the greater Twin Cities and beyond for the past 30 years. His gallery, called The Third Place, is located on Chicago between 37th and 38th, directly across the street from where Mr. Floyd was murdered, in what is now referred to as Ground Zero of the George Floyd Square. On my way to meet Wing one afternoon, I took a shortcut through Phelps Field Park, about a block away from the memorial site. A large crowd was gathered in the park, where an outdoor stage had just been set up. A young woman approached the microphone. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for being here today. It's so beautiful to look, and re- to look around and see a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. Because in heaven, we're not going to be divided by skin color. We're not going to be divided by culture. We're going to have one thing in common, that's Jesus Christ, that he is the son of the living God, and we've given our lives to him. And so he is the Lord of our life. So when we get to heaven, this is what it's going to look like. And it's a beautiful picture. And so as we go, we're going to have some uh, preaching and some speaking, baptizing, worship tonight, Um, a time even of racial reconciliation, because these things have to begin also here with us as the church to break the divides intentionally and head on even when it's uncomfortable even when it doesn't feel the best at first because sometimes it's necessary to bring about the healing that we really need to see happen and so we're gonna just walk through that tonight Uh, there's bathrooms over here Um, please stay hydrated get some water otherwise you can also come closer don't you don't, don't feel like you have to stand out there come closer we're gonna dance we're gonna worship tonight and have just a great time in the presence of the Lord out here in Phelpsfield Park, Minneapolis. Two months earlier, shortly after the killing of George Floyd on Memorial Day of this year, the Minnesota National Guard had used this park as a staging area for troops and vehicles being deployed in this part of town. The children's outdoor jungle gym was removed, and giant twin turbine cargo helicopters had used the site as a landing pad. Standing there on this sunny afternoon nearly two months later, you could hardly tell. A new sound coming out. Let's go. Let's put our hands together. Come on. Let's clap it out. Come on.
music then cut out unexpectedly, so I made my way back out of the crowd, headed in the direction of the Floyd Memorial and the Third Place Gallery. Wing has maintained a gallery here at 38th and Chicago since 2011, in a building that had previously sat empty for 47 years. When I arrived on the block, all the other storefronts on Wing's side of Chicago were still boarded up since the uprising that took place here over the summer. Four by eight sheets of particle board were leaning up against the entrance to the third place, and Wing's hand was bleeding from a cut he had just received while inspecting his large plate glass window someone had smashed earlier. We sat for a while in the third place and talked without the tape running. The walls were covered in photographs he's made in this neighborhood spanning his career. Wing's pictures are some of the most humanizing examples of street photography I've come across. Unlike many street photographers who focus on fetishizing the unusual in the everyday, what's commonly translated through Wing's vision is great reverence for the general makeup of daily life. In the weeks and months following George Floyd's death, Wing has been contacted by various news outlets including the New York Times, but declined to speak with any of them. Sitting down together, both of us wearing masks, he made it clear that he was not interested in making a formal statement about Mr. Floyd's murder. Instead, Wing wishes to continue in his practice of observation, focused on learning from his neighbors about who he himself is and about who and what makes up the world around him. This is his life's work. So in between my sophomore and junior year, I took a trip um, and bought a camera. This was 1975. I was 20 years old. And bought a Minolta single-lens reflex uh, film camera, of course, and took some very ordinary pictures on this trip. And for whatever reason, came back and thought, hey, Maybe I could become a photographer. What were some of those, um, you said you took, when you first got your camera, when you were 20, you mm -hmm. said you took some pictures on the strip? A trip. Oh, on a trip. On a trip. <clears throat> Actually, what were those photos? Do you remember any of those photos? Can you describe any of them? Some of so, <clears throat> well, my brother and I decided to go to Hong Kong and visit relatives. At that time, Hong Kong was a British colony. And so I photographed uh, in Hong Kong, and it was the first time in my life that I wasn't the only, that I, the first time in my life I was surrounded by people who looked like me. And um, I photographed in Hong Kong. I am the youngest of six, and I'm the only one in my family that was not born in China. I was born and raised in Duluth, Minnesota. I'm a native Minnesotan. I was the only Asian kid in my school. Only Asian kid in elementary, junior high, in high school. Finally, this Asian dude showed up. When I saw him, I avoided him. I don't think at the time I realized I was avoiding someone because I think they looked like me. I didn't think about it until years later until after my career had started, 
until after I was working my third book, looking for Asian America. Took a nine-month road trip around the country. What am I? I grew up in Duluth, Minnesota. I was formed by the same culture, read the same books, TV shows, movies as everyone else. But you don't grow up with a mirror in front of you. The people around you are your mirror. When I saw this Asian kid, I realized I was seeing myself for the first time. I thought he sticks out. That must mean I stick out. I did not want to think about that. You can look at yourself in the mirror every day and not see yourself the way other people see you. To understand yourself is good to understand the people around you. People are just people. I have a photograph in Chineseness of my mom, who was my first subject, sitting next to the TV. And the TV was always on. And mom sat in that chair next to the TV because she never watched TV. She never learned to speak English. Uh, my mom had a lot of influence over me. She was my mom. But whatever influence she had had to compete with all of those images that came out of that box. And I saw very few images who looked like me. So what am I? Mass culture does not reflect the masses. It's corporations. So, um, if you do not see yourself reflected in mass culture, what does that do to you? The point is, we take photographs of each other every day in our minds and how much of what we project onto the reality in front of us is shaped by all of those images that we consume from mass culture rather than direct interaction and face-to-face -face conversations. If we knew each other's backstories, how much would that change? How we think of each other and ourselves. When I tell students that I photograph thousands of strangers, you know what their reaction is. That's creepy. And then I have them have conversations with their fellow students and photograph each other because for the most part, they are strangers to their fellow students. All of those thousands of interactions have just become a part of my experience, um, normalizing who we are. I'm always confronted by my own assumptions when I get outside of my personal cultural and technological bubble and I talk to people. Um, I'm not that friendly. I'm not unfriendly. I have photographed thousands of strangers and almost everyone that I photograph, I've talked to first. To know yourself, I think it's important to know the people around you. We live in bubbles. Fear.
we fear each other. We are the strangers. If we as a society redefined what a stranger was, perhaps we would have more of a society. We live in a historic time. My gallery is on 38th in Chicago, right across the street from where George Floyd was murdered. This is a time of racial reckoning. We are the strangers and we need to talk to each other. We are also all culpable. And it's up to each of us to understand what that means for us as individuals and for us as a society. We live in a very polarized time. In my lifetime, more polarized than ever. Some say more polarized at any time in our history. To redefine society one conversation at a time, I think, helps. Um, I was giving a presentation um, at a community college. It was probably about 15 years ago. It was a photo one class. <clears throat> a friend of mine was the professor and um, got paid me probably 50 bucks. And there's one person who asked some very sophisticated questions. And afterwards, uh, this person came up to me and I said, you know, I really like your questions. And she said, um, that's good because I'm the president of the college. And this is a presentation on diversity without it being about diversity. And she asked me to do a community-wide um, project in the, in the college. So I started thinking about what I did differently. Arguably, the most impact that my photographs have had is not in a museum or a public exhibit. It's in the classroom. I created an educational resource called What Do You See? Um, I tell students that I photograph everyday life. And like life, the photographs are full of suggestion and open to interpretation. Um, I'm, drowned, I'm drawn to ambiguity. To me, life is gray. For some people, it's black and white. This is right, this is wrong. I'm drawn to the ambiguity, the complexities. And so I'll pick photographs for students to have a discussion about. I'll ask simply, what do you see? What meanings do you read? There's no right or wrong answer. Are the photographs a mirror that reflects something about you? Or are they a window into the world and you're not quite sure what you're seeing? Or are they both like a bridge? What do you think is going on? If this were a movie poster, 
What do you think the movie's about? So I have them discuss. How do you have a discussion about perspective and point of view that isn't confrontational? So now I, this is what I do in schools. I have students interact with each other. I call it chalk talk. And when I tell students that I'm showing you what I do that you can do it. And I'm showing you all my toolkit. And one of the things I do is I use a chalkboard. So you're going to do something very simple. You're going to have a conversation with a fellow student you don't really know. And I'm going to provide you the questions to get start the conversation. And wherever the conversation goes, it's up to you. And then afterwards, you figure out what you want to write. As long as you write something that reflects and reveals something about you and try to avoid cliches. No one wants to do it. Oh, I don't know that person. Sometimes the teacher pairs them up. Sometimes I simply say, all right, everyone get up, walk over to someone you don't really know and talk to them. Ask them to be your partner. And I say, if you just talk to your friends and only your friends the rest of your life, what's your life going to be like? And even a sixth grader is going to shake their head. How are you going to get a job? How are you going to have a social life? All right. Get up. Walk over to someone. And then, for the most part, if you walk into the classroom, 10 minutes later, you think they're all friends. The most human thing to do is to connect with someone. But everyone thinks, oh, they're not like me. They're different than me. You're worried about being judged. You're worried about saying the wrong thing. Everybody worries about that. But if we give each other permission to say what we want to say and get to know, and you know. So um, I ask students, what are the things you need to do in order, in order to do the thing you want to do? What do you need? And all the things that people say. I need resources. I need education. Uh, I need to get better at this. Um, I need to focus on my own self. You know? So I think uh, whatever it is that you need to do, that's what you need to do. But for me, I boil it down to three things. Um, and I call it R, A-R-E. A, you have to accept rejection. If one thing is guaranteed, you're going to be rejected. And how you respond to that has a lot to do with whether you're going to do the thing you want to do. A lot of what people say, you can just disregard. It has nothing to do with you. But some of the things that they say, it's good to take seriously. They not only accept rejection, but try to learn from it. Um, R routine. If you have this really big dream, sometimes it's so big, it can paralyze you. I know what that's like. I spent most of my 20s and early 30s um, not doing the thing I really wanted to do. And if, if you ignore it, and you try to put it in like this closet, that thing is just going to grow and grow. I felt it was like a beast that was going to devour me. So you've got to break that dream up into little chunks. Take little bite-sized pieces every day. You've got to make a routine, like brushing your teeth. Don't make a big deal out of the whole, you know. You know my favorite quote is from Chuck, Chuck Close. Inspiration for amateurs. 
If you're waiting for inspiration to come through the window knocking on your head before you do the thing you want to do, forget it. Little pieces every single day. And E, you have to engage the people around you. You can be the smartest person in the room. You can have the best grades. But if you don't have social skills, forget it. You've got to learn to talk to people. And if you think people are different than you, talk to them. The most human thing you can do is connect. It may take years. It may take minutes. You may never connect with that person. At least you engage them. Again, I am not that friendly. I'm not unfriendly. But this is what I do. What's going to be your camera? This is where the interview ended. Some of Wing's neighbors in the building had been gathering out front waiting to speak with him, and Wing went to inquire about what they had to say. I went back outside into the Floyd Memorial. The place was pretty packed. Family groups walked around slowly. People prayed and left flowers at the memorial site. Lots of different vendors had set up in the roads. I bought a Black Lives Matter face mask. Across the street, a group of men and young boys played around on a basketball hoop someone had set up. I looked around and found a seat on a public bench right across the street from the memorial site on the corner of 38th and Chicago and let the tape run. Thank <laughs> you.